Hello, hello, and welcome to Elated, the podcast. I'm Arielle, and I care about your mental health. Over the last few years, I've built a business with a mission to destigmatize the conversation surrounding mental health maintenance, using food as a starting point. I found that educating people on how our gut-brain connection, and don't worry, I'll explain what that is, influences our mood, feelings, cognitive abilities, and so much more, created a comfortable space to talk about what it means to take care. My goal has always been for people to talk about their emotional health the same way we talk about physical health. And in this time and space, I think we can all agree on how important this is. Every week, I'll be sharing conversations with friends and professionals whose expertise is in a space that contributes to our mental well-being. I'll be asking for their take and tips on topics we all think about, but few of us talk about. Whether it's mental health and money, motherhood, meditation, or anything really, I'm committed to throwing out the taboo to get the conversation going. So I'm really excited you're here. And let's get started. Today's conversation is with Molly Barr, a licensed mental health and intuitive eating counselor. Together, we talk about diet culture's role in mental health, how to approach eating, body image, and self-acceptance. All right, let's hear what she has to say. So you're a licensed mental health counselor and an anti-diet culture champion. (laughs) And I think that's so cool because the two are obviously inextricably linked, right? Like everything we do kind of revolves around food, how we show our affection, how we engage with our friends and family, even just how we're able to go about our day. Right now, we're bombarded with how we should be doing that. It's extremely disempowering. We forget that we know what to do. We are our own expert, but we're trying to follow these rules. We're trying to do things right. So in your practice, because you have a private practice, how do you guide your patients and your clients to take back that power? That's a great question because I think it can sound kind of like, wait, I'm moving from one set of thoughts, beliefs, and rules to another set of thoughts, beliefs, and rules. And I try to reframe this as intuitive eating, health at every size. These are all kind of frameworks. They give us ideas to help direct us back to our intuitive selves. And so it it may be an exploration of what these frameworks can, um, you know, help guide us back to certain things to pay attention to, come back into our bodies. And we just kind of dabble in that and we do little experiments and see what works for that person. But ultimately, I want people to get to a place where they're really just trusting themselves again. Point blank. Yeah. I mean, that sounds easy. That sounds simple, but it's really freaking hard. And especially when you're with other people, because we can't just live alone with our own thoughts. So if we're in a group with people who you mentioned intuitive eating, if other people around us are not adhering to intuitively eating, what tools should they draw upon to stick to their intuitive eating mantra? in a group of people that may not be adhering to the same mentality. What a great example of how we can't just focus on one thing at a time. So 
with intuitive eating, we have to be doing body image work at the same time. Otherwise, it's just not going to work out. And you make a good point of a lot of times we tend to be really perceptive about what other people are doing, what they think of us, um, what must they be thinking about what we're doing and eating and all that. We really care and we value what other people think. And so at the same time, we're starting to work on pausing and asking ourselves, well, what do I think? What does my body need right now? Really kind of turning that around on ourselves and grounding in ourselves what we need, because whether someone's following a diet or not, um, we still, that doesn't matter because we all have different needs. And it's, so we're really trying to ground ourselves there. It's true. And I think we need to actually pause for a second and, and deconstruct the word diet in and of itself, because diet should just mean what it is that we eat. Mm -hmm. It doesn't need to mean someone else telling you how to eat, how to eat whatever it is that you should be eating, whatever that word should means anyway. And so I think that people also need to understand the difference between, for example, the Mediterranean diet that I agree, and I wonder if you agree, is an example of something that contributes to holistic well-being. That is a diet because that's a way of eating, but what the Mediterranean diet does not say is, this is how much of this particular thing you should be eating at this time, and you cannot eat anything else. It's just saying, you know, lots of plants, lean meats, non-animal fats, uh, nuts, like, and eat slowly, enjoy your food, enjoy it in company. That's just a way of life. But you also say a lifestyle change is a diet. So how do people navigate this like very messy pool? It is so messy. That's where I think just starting with gathering information and data and just learning what diet culture is, what that means, and it becomes easier to spot. And so if somebody's telling you what to eat, how much to eat, what times to eat it, like those are, I consider that more of like, those are diet rules. I almost never use diet in the other way, the way it was meant to be. I just think of that as quote unquote, normal eating. I can't believe we have to say that anymore. <laughs> that It's just eating. It's intuitive eating. It's just normal eating. And this Mediterranean diet example is a great example of like the 10th principle of intuitive eating. Like that may be a little bit of gentle nutrition. And we may not be able to get there right away because otherwise we might turn it into a diet of I must eat only whatever the Mediterranean diet says. But a lot of people find over time as they really start to give permission to eat all foods and they're really tuning into their body and what actually feels good in my body, they may be able to incorporate certain things of like, what can I add? It's always going to be about what can I add to my diet, not necessarily take away, but maybe there are certain uh, elements to the Mediterranean diet that does feel good to them. And, and that's at that point, I kind of question, do we even need to call it anything? Does it have to be called a Mediterranean diet when you're practicing it in yourselves? You know, it's just eating. Again, I think easier said than done, but at mm -hmm. the same time, if we do give ourselves the license to be experts of our own bodies and our own cues, and if we learn what it means to recognize those cues again, when we're hungry, when we're full, what we like, how we like it, 
then it's exactly what you said. We start to navigate a more really intuitive way of eating, but without saying, okay, now I'm going to follow an intuitive eating lifestyle or an intuitive eating way of eating. It's just, I'm going to listen to myself. And by doing so, you find that things don't have that allure anymore, or, you know, that item doesn't have a hold over you because you're just saying, I can have that if I want it, but do I want it? Let's take that time. Let's take that pause. And then if I want it, great. And if I don't, also great. But it's challenging to be so in tuned with yourself and live that way when we are constantly bombarded by social media, by advertising, by unhealthy beauty standards. So I recognize that it's easy and nice and pretty to say, for me, I'll use myself as an example. I'm a genetically slender person. And so it's easy for me to say, sure, okay, let me allow myself to listen to myself because the default is what society dictates is acceptable. For someone for whom that is not the case, listening to themselves may be scary because really they only have themselves to champion themselves, right? Because they don't, they may not see themselves in, in a definition of what is standard. So for someone for whom that is the truth, how do you guide them to, to just keep swimming, you know, to just put one foot in front of the other and, and to keep doing what they're doing and listening to themselves? It's challenging. It's complex. It's hard. I also have to call out my own privilege of being in a smaller body. So if I'm working with someone in a bigger body, I make sure that that is clear. I, I don't exactly understand what that must be like to be living in this world in a bigger body. And I don't think we can just say, just do intuitive eating and let go of this idea that you need to lose weight to be happy and to live a full, meaningful life. Those are great. I mean, I think we still go in that direction in one hand and then in another hand, having compassion and understanding, extending um, kindness to ourselves that it is so much easier to live in this world in a white, thin body than another body that's a lot more marginalized. And so I also look into the trauma of that. So I might do a little bit more trauma work there. I think, of course, it's important to identify it and acknowledge it and notice it. And let's look at all the years that they have felt like there's something wrong with them and that they're not okay as they are. And that's traumatic. And so I might even use EMDR on that or internal family systems. These are forms of trauma therapy to really look into that, to dig into that. And sorry, what is EMDR for people who don't know? It's eye movement desensitization reprocessing, which is just a mouthful of saying that we're going to go back and try to heal stuff from our past that gets reactivated now over and over and over again. And for a lot of people, it's really interesting. They think that there's something wrong with them in the moment when it actually is something that happened a long time ago. They might not even have too much awareness of it. And so if we can go back and heal that and heal things in the current and in the present, that's something that can really bring a lot of relief to them. So I think that really proves how multifaceted the eating experience is. And we need to take it easy on ourselves and we need to realize the behaviors we could be engaging in now 
may have something to do with what you said, our childhood or even our parents' childhood, because so much of eating and the way we eat is what we observed at home when we were growing up. I mean, I think that the lick your plate clean, there's starving kids somewhere in the world, why are you leaving food on the table, sets us up to fail because it tells us your gut is wrong. If you're full, that's wrong, that's selfish, you should be cleaning that plate. And that can be traumatic, like fighting through the pain of overeating. Obviously, that's, you know, we're not speaking to the other larger traumas, and I recognize that, but that in and of itself is something that tells you, you don't know your body best. And if that's how you're going to start life, and if that's how you're going to start your eating experience, obviously, you're going to be set up to have a bumpy road ahead. The overarching theme of this is kind of taking back our power, right? And as such, there is so much goodness happening right now with more body positivity, more body inclusivity, and the health at every size movement. I really love that. At the same time, I want to talk about something that may may be a little more controversial, which is, do you think that as the body positivity movement and health at every size movement is getting to know itself now, does it also lend itself to a form of body shaming as well? Because it says, okay, now we're going to fight against what the norm once was and say that this other norm is the norm. And it doesn't kind of give license to there's just no norm. Every person is their own person. Everybody is fine. As long as you're healthy and happy, there's no real man example, real woman example. Okay. Yeah. I am picking up what you're putting down. And I, I, I don't know if this is the answer, but I can speak for myself. When I learned about intuitive eating and health at every size, I'm one of these people that you know, the second I learned that something I've been doing or subscribed to was harmful or wasn't okay, I just, it is like black and white, a light switch goes off. And I just, I was very emotional. I think a lot of people can feel that way. And a lot of times we get angry and I love anger. Anger can really fuel, um, you know, our journey towards healing. We can make a lot of stuff happen. Like that's a good thing. And again, I'm speaking for myself, I started putting that out into the social media world. And when I look back at that time, my posts were really angry and they were very shaming. It was very much like if you're doing a diet, you were wrong, you're causing harm. It's very black and white. It's the, it's the same thing. I just went to the other end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's actually the general purpose of this. As you were saying, this is about reclaiming our lives, getting our power back, freeing everyone. Of course, everyone's on a spectrum. So I'm still recognizing that uh, we're, we're all in pain and some people may be in more pain than others. So there's that, but we can all be free. So I really love the idea of body liberation, of really re- liberating all of us from the expectations that have been placed on us. And so I think the overall goal is to move away from shame in general, especially shaming each other. And I think sometimes the loudest voices maybe earlier on in their journey of this. So I don't know if that's always true, but that's, that was my truth. Yeah. And I think then if nothing else, it says, okay, you can take a temperature check. You can listen to what everyone has to say, recognize that, especially in the era of social media, people are finding themselves out loud and in public, which is like, you know, puberty times a million and all of that awkwardness coming along with it, right? 
but yeah. it's asking you to say, does this fit for me? Does this work for my body? If that's what she or, or he is saying, that's fine. That's their truth. That's their reality. And I'm not going to judge them for that, but does it apply to me? Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's, that's really empowering. And, and the more that becomes normalized, the better for you. What is, what is the biggest shift you hope to see when it comes to diet culture specifically? Oh, I wish it would go away, but I know that that's not realistic. So when I look back, I, I just wish that I had known there was another option. I hate that it took me 30 years plus to know I didn't have to diet. So if there's anything I can think of is just having the message out there. So people know you can diet, you don't have to, and, and they're okay. So it's more like informed consent, like all the facts that I have learned about diets and how they don't work for most people. They don't work long-term. They end up taking more than they give. They don't deliver on their promises, all those things. I just wish I had known that earlier, which is part of why I put this content out into social media, but just kind of hoping that people know that that's an option. But what's the opposite of a diet? Is intuitive eating the exact opposite? I think of intuitive eating as maybe the bridge from dieting to not dieting anymore, like getting back into our bodies. And so I think intuitive eating maybe gets, hmm, I don't know if, I don't think that's the end goal. I think the end goal is just coming back to ourselves, just being, just, just us, trusting ourselves. And the principles just help us get there. And, and they don't apply to everybody. Not everybody, it doesn't speak for everybody. So it's just one route to get there. But what if your body is telling you not to eat this and eat more of that? Is that restriction? Is that diet culture? Or is that more on the intuitive eating, listening to yourself, coming back to yourself, end of the spectrum. I think it's more that ladder of, of course it depends. We're going to get curious with it. We'll stay open and non-judgmental. What is this about? The other day I was going to go meet my husband. He was at five guys with a coworker and I was thinking, Oh God, I love that place. I just, I really want a cheeseburger and fries. And I had a full afternoon of clients after and I was just thinking, it sounds good, but how do I want to feel after? And that wouldn't feel good to me after. And so I have no problem in that moment, you know, choosing to eat something else and I'll have the burger later. Um, if, if my body's telling me to never eat a certain food again, like unless it's something like mushrooms, I'm never going to eat mushrooms again. <laughs> Those disgust me, but I know that most people like them. Like that's another thing. So is this a preference or does this feel like a rule? And that's kind of something we can only answer for ourselves. Does this feel okay to me? And another sign might be, am I binging? Um, That has nothing to do with emotions because that might mean there's a restriction there that leads to a binge. So that might be another clue to look for. Okay, so step one, maybe recognize, is it coming from you or is it coming from an influence? Mm -hmm. One. Two, I love the, how am I going to feel after? If it's, mm, I'm going to feel sluggish, I'm going to have you know mental fog, maybe not now, but it's up to you. That really gives uh, like a more tangible way to navigate as people go from, okay, what I should be doing to now listening to myself, but listening to myself can be scary, especially if it goes against the grain. 
but you mentioned binging and something I didn't know and learning from you and, and people who occupy your space is there's a difference between eating disorders and disordered eating. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I didn't know there was a difference. Yeah, I think it's a great question. It, everything's on kind of a spectrum. So we have the quote unquote normal eating or just eating. And then in the middle might be a little bit more disordered eating. And I would potentially consider most diets or diet advice to be in that realm, even though we don't normally think about that in that way. I'll step back, like an eating disorder therapist would see those behaviors as disordered eating. And then an eating disorder has criteria. So if you fit full criteria for an eating disorder, then you'd have an eating disorder. So it's, it's more like a spectrum, how many symptoms, how much does it impact someone's life? Um, and I, I still go back to whether someone has an eating disorder or not, if they have a challenging relationship with food and their body, it's still enough to get support if they need it. And to also recognize that they may be genetically predisposed to a certain outcome. So to not fault yourself either in that way where, you know, it's true that in alcohol, for example, if your parent or grandparent engaged in overindulging and alcoholic-like behaviors, you may have a greater genetic predisposition to, to not know limits. And so if that's something that you see manifesting in your life, give yourself license to not blame yourself, recognize what you may be predisposed to, but then exactly what you said, if you're ready to ask for help. So what is that moment? What are those indicators when it comes to overindulging, eating food or underindulging um, that someone should ask for help? Mm, that's a great question too. It's so hard to say before, like I said, before I learned about intuitive eating and health at every size, I don't know that I would have recognized that chronically dieting for years on end was probably pretty disordered and was probably taking a lot away from me. I don't know that I would have known I needed to go to therapy for that. I may know to go to therapy for anxiety or depression or low self-esteem. Looking back, I think if someone had told me having a fear of food or anxiety around food or skipping social events or just 99% of my brain space of being devoted to diets and following people on Instagram, like reading as many things as I can about weight loss and dieting, that that, that may be a bit of a problem. Okay. So if it's consuming your life, maybe? Yes. Mm -hmm, okay. Okay. So if it's consuming your life, I think I read somewhere, like if you plan social engagements around food or drinking, maybe you need some support to, to interact healthfully with, with those things. And so, okay. So, so if it consumes you, I think that's something that a lot of people can, can take away from, from this, from hearing this how does someone who hasn't taken the time to, to get to know themselves up until this point and now kind of wants to reintroduce themselves and become friends with themselves again, what's that first step to, to sitting and, and relearning your body's cues? I like to look at a list of what, what do people, what are they doing right now? So some people might be tracking, measuring, weighing out their food, 
how often they eat, like what are some of their food behaviors and what are they willing to experiment with first? So we might take that route. So some people might start off with, okay, I maybe will stop tracking breakfast and just kind of see how that goes or a full day. And that might be one route that they take. And I think that for some people looking at that hunger fullness scale can be really helpful. So before you take that first bite, just kind of checking in, where do I think I'm at on this scale of hunger fullness? And then halfway through the meal, where am I at now? And then at your last bite, where am I at now? And just kind of taking notice of what you, what you feel in your body. Do you think it's, it's practical for the average person to take that time? Like how much time are we talking about? Uh, like a second, like a very quick, just a brief, hmm, am I hungry? Am I full? What do I feel in my body? So it is very accessible. People can take that time. It's just a choice. Are you ready to start taking that time for yourself, I guess? Yeah. And I, th- I think people, and this is part of when people start intuitive eating, they start to intuitive live too, because they start to really get to know their body signals and oh, what does sound good. So when they look at that list, again, everybody's different. So some people, the first thing they start to let go of is the scale. And for some people, that is the last thing they want to let go of. And so like, what do you kind of feel like you're ready to tackle? Some people want to dip their toes in, some people want to like cannonball into the deep end. And so whatever sounds kind of juicy to them, we just kind of go in that direction because that's what the motivation is going to be. I love that. One thing that I learned was there's like, there will be like a burning sensation in your stomach. And that means you're actually hungry. Is that true? Well, I'm sure that could definitely be. So one thing is we all have different signs and signals for hunger. So that can be kind of tricky with intuitive eating. And with a lot of different approaches, of course, there's this scale, a hunger fullness scale where five is neutral. One is starving, hangry. I'm going to like bite your head off or 10 is like Thanksgiving day full. And we try to encourage people. And this is not, you know, this is not black and white. You don't have to do this every time, but we try to honor our hunger when we're at like a three and uh, the fullness part doesn't necessarily matter as much, but we kind of aim for, you know, stopping at like a seven. So a four or three might be when I start thinking about food, that's kind of my sign that, oh, it's probably, I'm, I'm getting hungry. And it may be a lack of concentration or getting tired. Some people get headaches, but I think once we get to like a really burning hunger, you might be at like a one or a two and, and that's okay. It's just an awareness that the lower we get on that scale, the higher we tend to end up on the other side of the scale and that's okay. So if I eat past comfortable fullness and I look back, I'll, I'll tend to notice, oh yeah, I probably waited too long to eat. That's all. You give permission then as an expert to the people listening to say, listen to yourself, take that time and tune out the fad diets, tune out what someone else is telling you, you should look like you should eat, you should do because anything that's asking for restriction or change that your gut may tell you, oh, like that doesn't sound so attractive. That doesn't sound so fun. That doesn't sound easy is not for you. And that's okay. So just to go back and listen to, to what it is that your body is asking for and whatever that is, and wherever your body takes shape as a result of that, that's perfect for you. Absolutely. And those 10 principles are not meant to be in order. 
and you don't have to, I don't know anybody who did all 10 principles at once. So the someone might look at of intuitive, of intuitive eating, eating. Yeah, because sorry. it's a book. It started as a book. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you can just go to the website if you want to see the 10 principles. Mm-hmm. Um, and so someone might just pick one and one might be honoring your hunger. And so that could be a principle you just start to look into. Or number one is reject the diet mentality. So starting to look into what is diet culture, culture and starting to reject some of those beliefs. So it doesn't have to be all at once. It's really just kind of picking what sounds best for you. And I remember hearing this process can take a long time. It can take at least a year. So I made a promise to myself that first year that I will not diet for the rest of the year because I knew it was going to get hard and, and there will be waves of it getting harder as time goes on. It's not just in the beginning. And so that is to give yourself time people get really scared in the beginning because it it does feel good. It is kind of like a honeymoon phase of I get to eat whatever I want. And then it gets really tough and they don't think that they can do it. But if you can kind of push through the hard stuff, I tell you, things can be really different in a year. That's amazing. And it's like what we said before, there's going to be an extreme until you find that, that healthy middle point for you and give yourself the time to find that and allow yourself. I mean, I had this friend in college who would always tell me, feel your feelings. And I think I never, I had never really heard that. And I didn't fully know what she meant at the time, but (laughs) that is exactly true. Feel your feelings, listen to what your body's telling you, feel what's okay for you. And also ride the wave, react to that wave. However, is intuitive again for you. Don't judge yourself. And you'll find the lifestyle that works best for you. And anyone who is telling you you're wrong, anyone who's shaming you or anyone who is imposing their viewpoint onto you or their standards onto you, maybe check to see if they're a positive influence in your life in general, or maybe take that opportunity to advocate your stance to them, but not ever have to defend yourself. I think that's also an important thing. Like, again, you are your own expert. You don't have to defend that. Yes. Stand in your truth. You really, you really do know what's best for you, even though it's hard because you hear a lot of chatter outside, but you, you really do. You have an inner wisdom. Your body keeps breathing. You don't even have to think about it. You honor the signals that tell you to go to sleep or if you're cold, like your body can be trusted and you can really get back into that inner knowing. Well, thank you for saying that. And I'd like to wrap up by asking you, for you, what is mental health? Ooh, mental health. I know for physical health, I have started, I mean, part of this journey or adventure, I hate journey. (laughs) Part of this adventure has been expanding the definition of that. And I think that we could say the same for mental health too. It may be about giving permission to feel all feelings and give ourselves self-compassion, flexibility, nuance, things are on a spectrum. How is my social life? It could even be my financial life. It can be my environmental life. It can be all different facets of life. If, I mean, I think part of the push right now is to really like destigmatize getting support if we need it. And it doesn't always have to be with the licensed professional. I don't mean to say everyone has to go to therapy, but if we can support each other in, in whatever way we need to, if we can find community, we really need each other right now. We're really wired for social connection. That's perfect. Recognizing 
who you are as yourself, but also who you are as a part of a collective and recognizing that the collective can be an extension of you if only you access it. Well, thank you so much for your wisdom and for your role in this movement that I fundamentally believe is taking us in the right direction. So thank you for everything you're doing. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Molly. If you'd like to become a client or learn more about her, you can find additional information and links in the description box of this podcast episode. All right, until next time.